STEM Conference presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with biomedical engineer and diversity advocate in STEM, Dr. Corey Grayson. Up first is Corning Incorporated's manager of technical talent pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's senior technology editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Dr. Corey Grayson. Dr. Grayson is currently a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Michigan in chemical engineering. She has received numerous awards, such as the Robert Moisa Graduate Distinguished Service Award in 2016. Dr. Grayson is extremely passionate about increasing the number of underrepresented minorities in STEM by illustrating that representation matters. She is the diversity chair for Women Doing Science, a popular Instagram account that showcases women in STEM from all over the world. Dr. Grayson continues doing advocacy work while redefining the image of what a scientist looks like. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. And uh, once again, Dr. Grayson, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Truly appreciate it and honored to be here. Absolutely. Looking forward to our time together today. I think that uh, the team here knows by now that it seems like every week I say the same thing, and that is that I get more and more excited about the topic of conversation because uh, they really are so relevant and timely, uh, and that's no less true today. I'm really excited to learn about the uh, work that you've been doing, actually, in redefining the image of STEM. Uh, as we on the broadcast have had the opportunity to explore with so many esteemed guests, the face of STEM, the image of STEM is definitely not what it used to be. And that's really an exciting thing. But before I get ahead of myself, I really enjoy the opportunity to help get to know our guests uh, for those who are listening in. So I'm going to ask you some questions about you, and uh, we're going to have that as the backdrop for the uh, conversation. So can you tell us, who are you? Who is Dr. Corey Grayson? How did you get started in this field? And what is it in your past, maybe, uh, that really was the seed that caused you to know, I want to be someone in a STEM career? Well, I would say Dr. Corey Grayson is an introvert. She is a military brat. I know I'm speaking in third person, so let me switch over <laughs> to first. <laughs> um, I am passionate about STEM. I'm passionate about making it a better for people that are coming up behind me and that are in, you know, inspired and want to come into this field, this realm where there's not a lot of us. And I'm honestly just a person that likes to travel, likes to have fun, cook. I go to carnival every year, except for this year because of COVID. Um, I'm just kind of like your, I'm like your aunt, I'm your mother, I'm your cousin. I'm just someone that you can see in every day, but I just also happen to have 
a PhD in STEM, specifically biomedical engineering. So overall, in a nutshell, that's kind of who I am. And as far as me as getting started in STEM, I mean, it started when I was a little girl and watching my mom help my brother and I with our science fair projects. So I wasn't necessarily interested in science per se then, but just to watch someone in my family who would get excited and was able to help us really kind of pushed me in the direction of like being this person that would likes to find out answers to questions and explore and do research. And so taking that from her, I think it really blossomed when I was in high school, when I had, when I was taking AP classes. So my guidance counselor, she forced me to take them. And I'm like, lady, all I want to do is play basketball. Why are you doing this to me my senior year? But luckily she did. So I had teachers, two teachers, specifically uh, my calculus teacher, as well as my chemistry teacher, who were really passionate about these subjects. And so just their kind of enthusiasm came through, which made me kind of want to go more into, into that direction. But I think it really didn't narrow down until I got to college. And I had a G-Chem, general chemistry professor, Dr. Katina Hall. And she was just this no-nonsense type of professor. I mean, she was petite, maybe five foot at most, but her personality and her just persona was like six foot or more. And you cannot tell her nothing. Like, I remember she used to say this all the time, and I never got it until like I was older, but she's like, even when I'm wrong, I'm right. That's just how much confidence she just had in herself and in her abilities. And so moving forward in my STEM career, I just kind of try to emulate or have that kind of same type of, you know, persona and thinking moving forward. I got to have the confidence of somebody that is, you know, six, seven, or just this massive, huge personality sometimes to even be heard in a room where sometimes our voices are, are quieted or we may feel insecure or feel imposter syndrome where we feel like we don't belong. And so I think she really kind of pushed me in, in that direction, as well as other mentors that I met while I was at Norfolk State University, which is the HBCU. That's where I got my bachelor's in chemistry. And so just seeing people along the way that looked like me that were interested in this type of this topic that wasn't normally talked about or seen in sometimes black families really just pushed me and just made me the scientist who I am today. I mean, going to an HBCU, having people that you are surrounded by that look like you come from the same type of background, whether it's first gen, low income, single parent households, and we're all in GCHEM crying and suffering together. I mean, there's some community behind that. And I think it continues to grow and I'm trying to make it grow even more as I move up in this academic and in this professional space. Even when I'm wrong, I'm right. Now, that's a headline right there. Uh, and, it, and it does kind of embody that um, uh, courage uh, and confidence uh, that you do need to have as a STEM professional who is also uh, from a community of color. You said a mouthful there. Uh, I actually uh, want to talk more about your inspirations, but uh, did I hear you mention imposter syndrome? Is that correct? Yes, I definitely mentioned it. It was something. Yes, say more about that. I, I think that that was very provocative. Right. So imposter syndrome is basically this false belief that you don't belong, like you're going to be called out because you don't feel like you belong in this necessary in this space. And so it's a lot of what especially women and people of color suffer from when they get into these areas and spaces where there's not a lot of us. But it's really about 
understanding that you're meant to be there regardless of how much of an imposter you may feel, but you're not an imposter. We just sometimes aren't used to seeing ourselves at this level, so it makes us question why are we even here? But you're there for a purpose, you're there for a reason, your talents brought you into this room, and so you have to use them and regardless of how you feel about them in order to really kind of open the doors up, not only for yourself, but for other people that are coming behind you. So it's something we all at some point, I think, kind of have to get through or understand, call out and then move past. But um, we're working on it every day. And I, I can tell you now, I don't feel like an imposter anymore. I mean, I feel that well representative, but not an imposter. I'm meant to be here. And so you're going to hear Dr. Grayson wherever she goes. I love that. And and uh, uh, this is High Tech Sunday, so you kind of just took us to church there for a little bit. Uh, so let the church say amen. Uh, there, there, it, that really is such, I, I really believe, uh, Dr. Grayson, that there was a, a bit of a, a load that you just lifted off of some people because uh, you gave language to what uh, many of us often feel, regardless of how seasoned and tenured we are in the field. I think that we all are vulnerable uh, to that imposter syndrome uh, from time to time, depending upon uh, new projects that we are, are participating on, uh, new situations that we are exposed to where it feels like here I am again for the first time. Uh, and so thanks for, for speaking uh, that truth, if you will, because I think that it goes back to what you said about uh, the community, folks crying together in GCAM. Uh, it's something that we can all relate to, and it's something that we can all encourage each other around. So really, really important message. I'm so glad that you shared that. Uh, and, and with that in mind, um, can you speak to the role that uh, spirituality has played in your forming uh, this person that the world now knows and will hear, who is Corey Grayson. It sure sounds like there is uh, some root there that has really been important in shaping who you are. Yes. So for me, with spirituality, um, I'm more or less the I guess I would say I'm less religious and more spiritual. So to me, that's about listening to signs, um, having right people, positive vibes around you, meditating, affirming, um, and then basically, you know, treat everyone like how you would want to be treated. And so for me, when it comes to science, because I know a lot of people think scientists are atheists and we don't believe in anything, but I speak more to the words of like Carl Sagan, which is science is not only compatible with spirituality, but is a profound source of spirituality. So when I'm in lab or talking about my science, there is a kind of spirit that is that is with me that's able to relay certain messages to more um, to my mother or talk to a community of people that may not always understand based off of the language that scientists use. And so I think for my journey, it was more about kind of going with the flow, listening to the signs and things that were more affirming in, the, in those directions in order to kind of carve out my own path. Um, for example, when I was going or applying to grad school, I only chose three and I really wanted to go into Georgia Tech. I had already done a summer internship there and then got a recommendation letter from somebody from there. And I was like, okay, this is where I wanna go. 
but I think the universe had other plans for me. So I didn't get into that university or another one, but Cornell, you know, it was more affirming. I got the phone call from the director of graduate studies, you know, he left a voicemail and it just seemed very positive and welcoming. And so I was making, or we were actually struggling with the decision of should I go to Georgia, wait a year and then go to Georgia Tech or just go to Cornell, visit and see how I feel. So my mom was like, just go visit and see how you feel. So I went to go visit and then I got um, NSF, which is a fellowship, a very prestigious fellowship for uh, people, grad students in STEM. And then I also got a fellowship specifically from Cornell. And so I was like, I think that's a sign that maybe I should go to grad school at Cornell. <laughs> so I've been there, I did my PhD. And for me, again, that was listening to how I felt, what felt right to me, um, how I felt around these people, those type of feelings in order to kind of, that led me and guide me onto the path that I'm on now. So you got these two great, uh, three great opportunities uh, that you spoke of. Uh, you couldn't go wrong. Uh, I actually did my PhD at Georgia Tech and uh, oh. I work in upstate New York. Uh, Cornell is like 35 miles from here. Uh, so both of them are stellar, stellar mm -hmm. uh, academic institutions. You can't go wrong, but <laughs> there is a different way that people's eyes kind of light up when they see the ivy. So uh, Cornell. <laughs> Cornell definitely, uh, uh, certainly uh, was done proud uh, right. um, being there. Definitely, completely, <laughs> completely agree. When I, sometimes I don't even like to boast, you know, like, yeah, I got my degree from Cornell, but you know, sometimes you gotta let people know, like, yeah, I got my degree from Cornell. So um, I'm here and I'm in the room and, and how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, so I wanna dig in um, to redefining the image of STEM. Uh, I actually, in my day job, if you will, uh, is the manager for technical talent pipelining for research, development, and engineering, and the lead for the Office of STEM here at Corning Incorporated. And so, like I said, this topic just made bells and whistles go off in my head because it is a conversation who, which, uh, whose time has come. So uh, let's talk about your mission. When you say that you want to redefine the image of STEM, let's just talk about what you believe the status quo, the current image of STEM to be, and then of course, why does it need to be redefined? Right. So redefining, I guess, the image of STEM or the image of a scientist uh, just started mostly with my social media. I was literally just posting my everyday life, things that I wanted to do, um, either dressing up and going out or going on vacation or celebrating, you know, carnival. And I think people were kind of, you know, surprised, but also liked the fact that I was showcasing not only my work in STEM and in lab, but also what I was doing in my regular life. And so that also really stemmed from a conversation that I had with my father, where he said, you know what, um, when I think of a scientist, I never really thought of you, but now I do. And so just having and changing that perception within my own family of what a scientist is or what we can do um, versus what society thinks it is, then I think that just holds a lot of weight. I mean, my dad told me he thought it was just some, you know, white guy in a coat with like crazy hair. And I tell people I might have the crazy hair because my hair is curly and it is big, but 
you know, I'm a, I'm a black woman. That's how I identify. But, you know, I'm also a biomedical engineer and a budding chemical engineer I'm trying to work out in my postdoc. But just having that image of what somebody wouldn't normally think of what a scientist is, I think really just resonates with a lot of people, especially within the African-American community. Because, again, when I was in undergrad and we, I graduated with 10 other chemists, like how many people can really say that they did that? I, I know people who went, majored in physics and optical engineering, and they all look like me and my family, you know? So I think it was really at that point in these instances in my life where I'm like, okay, people need to see, like, yes, not only am I a scientist, I'm an engineer, but I'm also a person just like you and with a lot of relatability, just like you. So if you can see me in STEM, then that means you can do it. Because if I could do it, oh, that means everybody else can do it for sure. And so it's about also establishing a pipeline for more people to come. So what I've noticed within my talks, research, is we start to lose, especially women and women of color, in college and especially in computer science and engineering and i'm like why is that and that's because we don't see a lot of ourselves represented in these types of fields specifically in engineering so well what better way to show and increase representation show people that look like you show women in the field show women of color and so it's just a constant thing that i just try to do not only like when i go out you know, just in life, but also through my different pages, LinkedIn, it doesn't matter where it's at. It's just showing like, hey, I'm me. It's not necessarily the image, but just about wanting to increase the diversity of what is there currently. And unfortunately, especially within engineering, there's not a lot of people that look like me, but we're trying, we're trying to increase the numbers, we're trying to increase the representation. And if I can do my part in any kind of way, then I will. And it sounds like you're doing just that, actually. Um, let, let's stay on uh, this topic of women in STEM for just a moment, because you did mention that that is certainly an area of, of critical need and, and concern these days. Mm -hmm. A few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, you are certainly aware that Career Communications Group showcased and celebrated women of color in STEM, and it's always a monumental occasion when that is done. Uh, and one of the hashtags that the organization has is STEM is a girl thing. I love that. And it resonates so well with this conversation. But can you talk to us about how you and, and others in your network are, are encouraging young girls and, and other underrepresented minorities to actually pursue STEM careers? Oh, there's so many ways we're trying. Um, the most pertinent ways I can think of is us actually being out in the community and interacting with younger scientists, specifically in the K-12 range. There are a lot of initiatives going on between actual professional organizations like NSBE to individuals who, like Dr. Pritchett that I follow on IG, who has these like monthly uh, kind of science camps with younger children and doing these projects. And so it's literally a whole gamut of different things we're trying in order to increase, you know, women, um, specifically people of color to get in STEM. I mean, you have Black Girls Code. Um, again, STEM Success Summit that's coming up that's put on by minority Black scientists in order to help uh, 
students, specifically late stage, I guess, undergrads to early career professionals to grad students, get us in the pipeline in order to increase our presence in STEM. I mean, so many, Swedes, so many different organizations that literally are putting in the work to get this done. And so I'm on different you know, boards, committees. I try to do workshops, speaking engagements where I'm talking to LSAMP group at a university or I'm talking to kids at a nonprofit um, just to basically really drive home that, you know, we're here. I'm here in STEM. I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to mentor you. I'm willing to show you. And so, again, so many different initiatives that are going on currently that right now it's really a good time. If you're in STEM and you want to be in STEM, I can connect with you with so many different people and so many different initiatives. So it's actually really exciting. Again, the numbers aren't where we want them to be, but we're trying our hardest to you know, increase that representation. Thanks so much for, for walking us through that. You are clearly a proud HBCU alum. Uh, I'm happy to say that uh, while it is the case that growing up here in New York, I didn't actually know anything about HBCUs until well after I was done with school. But my oldest, our oldest daughter is a Hampton alum and ironically did her graduate work at Cornell. So there's some connections happening here. When you talk about increasing the numbers, we are aware of the incredible importance of HBCUs, especially when it comes to undergraduate engineering, for example. Uh, Mm -hmm. They have something like, I don't know, three or four percent of uh, the population, but produce some 30 percent of the engineering uh, undergrads uh, from uh, communities of color, especially mm-hmm. African-Americans. What would you say we can do or what would you, if you had the opportunity to just make a wish, what would you like to see done to support HBCUs more? Obviously, the first thing I would do is increase funding and also specifically get us to being R1 institutes. I think we have the capacity and the ability to compete with R1 institutions, but we don't necessarily have the funding or the faculty that are willing to go there to continue that research pipeline. And so that's something that my friend currently, who's a AAAS fellow, is what she's working on, actually trying to, you know, get grants to HBCUs or HBCU professors. And at some point, hopefully, because right now there are no HBCUs that are R1, they're all R2 or R3. And so that's just their research level. And so I think that is one of the main ways that we can help with supporting our institutions is definitely funding more opportunities because getting you know, our brightest professors there is definitely one thing, but it's hard to compete with an institution that has all this funding to kind of do more than what we're capable of. And so even for me, being at HBCU, I loved my experience, but I wish I could have done research at my university. But every summer I had to leave and go do it at an R1 in order to get that experience. And so I think, again, increasing that funding, increasing that support and making it an initiative uh, with our leaders in government that they need to see how important HBCUs are in the pipeline of generating black doctors and engineers and that we need to be supported just like we support these other institutions. Thank you so much for for, uh, that. It's 
just an important conversation and it's one that we need to keep driving and it's time for i think there to be additional movement we know that there is but as you said more needs to be done you're clearly a champion uh, for this cause champions often face challenges mm-hmm. as they are doing what they do what challenges have you faced that would be top of mind as you've been walking this walk uh, in redefining the image of STEM? Um, A lot of challenges and some that I don't always speak about, but definitely some that, you know, sometimes, well, let's just say I've learned and I've grown from them. I mean, the first challenge coming from parents who aren't in STEM, and you know, didn't or wouldn't wasn't thinking about pursuing that. Coming from being a first generation student, uh, starting college and doing college kind of um, with help from my parents, but again, they don't know everything about the college um, experience, and so a lot of things I had to learn on the fly, learn as I go. Um, even then, struggling sometimes with science classes and engineering classes. And I pers- I don't have a disability, but being around students who do have a uh, disability, some that are visible and some that are unseen, and watching them navigate uh, the world STEM, because STEM sometimes isn't always um, cognizant of others with disabilities. And then afterwards, really trying to figure out what to do. Um, when I graduated from college, I thought I was going to go to med school. That was the plan. That's kind of sometimes what they, you know, get you prepared for, not necessarily graduate degrees in engineering. And so figuring out, oh, well, I'll study for the MCAT while I, you know, take a year off this gap year, and which turned into two. In that gap year, I found out, okay, I don't want to do med school. Um, what do I want to do? So that first year, uh, people think you get this degree and you just start making some this money. And I'm like, no, I, no one was hiring a chemistry, a fresh chemistry degree with no experience. I had to work retail a lot uh, my first year just because I had a background in it from when I worked at high school. And then I worked at a biomedical device company, and but I wasn't necessarily completely happy at that job. So I'm like, let me apply to grad school. And then, you know, get rejected from two, but you get into one. And then once you get to grad school, you start, you're from a place where you can see people that look like you in a city, also that people look like you. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. And then you go somewhere upstate New York where you really don't see that many people, black people at all. And then you having these thoughts of imposter syndrome or do do I even belong here? What decision did I really just make coming up here all by myself? Not having my family around me all the time. Um, struggling with personal relationships, thinking, going to therapy, figuring my personal life out, like so many different struggles, one after another, you know, going to the doctor and then being learned I have, you know, a predisposition to colon cancer, like every couple of years is something. There's always a challenge, there's always a roadblock, but everything that I've been through honestly just makes me more empowered as a person, as a woman, as a scientist, more informed, more confident, and just as lessons that, hey, it's not easy getting here. It's not easy getting a bachelor's, a PhD, a master's, whatever kind of degree you want to get. Um, and we all have a story behind each thing that we've done. And 
it's just a part of your story. It's not your defining moment, but it helps you get to where you need to go. That's such a powerful testimony. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's kind of a glimpse into your soul, it felt like. Uh, and again, I know that it is helping people. Uh, you, you, you tune into High Tech Sunday to hear great conversation, uh, and then you get inspired, you get encouraged, uh, you get uplifted, uh, and you get challenged. And that's what you're doing for us today. So thank you for that. I'm going to turn things over to my co-host, Lango Dean. In just a moment, uh, I got one more question for this segment, and that really is, why do you do this? You said you got life going on. There's challenges that you face personally, challenges that you face as you are being a champion. Why is this passion worth it to you? I think for me, it's, it's my calling. I honestly keep telling people, like, when I get my degree, it's not just for me. It's for my family. It's for the girl that didn't feel like she could, for the person that feels unseen. My work and everything I do, I talk about, well, even when I get to research, it's not just about me. It's something that is bigger than me. And recognizing that in my path and realizing, like, I have a voice as much as shy, as introverted as I may be. Um, my calling doesn't care about that. People don't care about that. God has pushed me that way, and that's the, the route I will continue to go. So I just feel like it's my purpose, it's my calling. And just every day seeing those messages that I, I get from little girls to even grown women, like you inspired me, I wanna go back and get a PhD, or I wanna uh, transition into engineering, how do I do that? Or your talk really helped me through this time, like stuff like that, those messages are literally innumerable and they're so precious and motivating for me that I even have that type of effect when all I'm doing is really just telling my story. And so it just made me realize like, this is bigger than me. It's a story that needs to be told and that people need to hear. And, and that's what I will continue to do until I can't anymore. Wow. Wow. I think that it is clear uh, that you are intending to do this for a good long while. <laughs> and when you talk about having uh, young women and, and others uh, reach out to you and say, how, how do I make that transition? How do I do that? That's actually what Lango Dean is going to explore with you next. So I'm going to hand things over to her. How you doing, Lango? I'm doing well, Dr. Vaughn. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm enjoying myself uh, in this conversation, as you can tell. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, biomedical engineer and diversity advocate in STEM, Dr. Corey Grayson. This week's episode is brought to you by the Bay of STEM Conference. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Grayson. It's really nice to talk to you. Um, I have been following you on Instagram for, what, eight months, seven months, and um, I think the first time I came across your photo was when you got your PhD, and it just lit up 
you know, one section of Instagram or, you know, black women were just going, wow, 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 have you seen that photo? Have you seen this? So, so that was great. And as I listen to you talk today to Dr. Vaughn about your educational path, I'm reminded of other black women who have either come on the show or are within the Career Communications Group alumni community. I think of people like uh, Stephanie Hill, who calls herself an accidental engineer because she really went to college to do a CPA and mm -hmm. she took a couple of cobalt classes and, you know, she ended up becoming a software en engineer. Mm -hmm. I also think of the way your mom kind of was inspirational in that science project. And I think of people who've mentioned their parents, like Dr. Donna Bell, who was inspired by her mom to become an engineer, and Dr. Macaulay Bell as well, uh, who's an industrial engineer who was also inspired by her mom and her dad, uh, mm -hmm. of course. Um, and I think this is the chemist that we had uh, on the show, and he was inspired inspired by his mom no end, you know, in terms of what books to read and what to do. I People have also talked about teachers that pushed them, like your teacher mm -hmm. pushed you to do an AP. Um, advocate professors, Dr. Ruthie Lyle, she talked about professors that she had at Northeastern who were really advocates for them. So I say all that to say, as you look through your, your journey in, in STEM, what inspiration would you give young people who are listening to you now? What inspiration would you give to them in terms of how things that just happen, you know, just mm -hmm. maybe things just happen, you're not sure why they happen, mm -hmm. and how you can take advantage of them and move forward? To young people or to those that are interested in getting in STEM, the what they say, because the world is your oyster. It's literally so many different opportunities, so many different fields, so many things you can do. And you're also just not limited by what you see. You can still get a STEM degree and, you know, do art. You can still play music, travel. Um, it's literally what you want to do. And if you're interested in STEM and you have a specific interest in a field, reach out to people, reach out to a person that you may, you know, may know, may not know. A lot of times I get a lot of emails from women and men that I do not know, but they're just so passionate and willing to learn more and help themselves. And I'm willing to do that with them. And so I think don't be scared to reach out to experts in the field to figure out what's going on or the things you need to do, or even help with like essays or resume writing. A lot of us that are in my position now, we're so willing to help people get to where we're at and do better. It's literally a community that is literally trying to help at any step and at any stage. Black in STEM, we got you. You know, color, person of color in STEM, women in STEM, there's literally groups and communities and pages you can follow and people you can interact with that will help you get there. So, I mean, I always just try. You never know until you try and you never know the answer until you ask. So my encouragement is just to reach out, talk to us. We talk back. Don't be scared or don't be threatened by the, the title. Respect it, but also know that we're normal, regular human beings. And all we want to do is see the younger generation succeed. So you literally have a team of aunties and mamas and uncles that are here and ready and willing to help you get to where you want to go in STEM. That's wonderful. 
You mentioned an organization, I think it was Black Girls Code. Are there other organizations that you would recommend that young people join and and become a part of, uh, sort of between K to 12? Um, I know there's Black Girls Code. There are a lot of initiatives. I know NSBE has for um, younger engineers, K through 12. NSBE is National Society of Black Engineers. Um, at the top of my head, those are the first two that are coming to mind, but there are a lot of nonprofit organizations like BioBus that I spoke with, um, different initiatives along those lines, um, specifically as like a list of resources, they're out there. But those are just the major ones that come to mind at, at the moment. But yes, there's so many opportunities um, literally, if you type in K-12 STEM opportunities, things will pop up and you'll be able to find and get your child, you know, ready and have access to um, the field of STEM. That's wonderful. Um, you talked to Dr. Vaughn a little bit about what kept you going during the tough times, and I was inspired and motivated by some of the things you said. There was this presence, uh, this calmness about you, you know, that so even though you felt insecure at times or that feeling of I don't belong here came along sometimes, that imposter syndrome came along sometimes, you, you found a way to get over it. But I was also inspired by something you said. You said that sometimes when I have to share what I do with my parents, they don't always get, you know, the scientific language. So I have to communicate it in a way that they will understand. So how does that kind of communication help? talking to young people who are sometimes put off by, by science and, and all the sort of like big fancy words in science and right. engineering as well. Right. Um, so with that, I think I even made a post about it one day and I said, it's not that you hate science because I've heard that so many times being a scientist is that you are hate, you hate how you were taught it. And so a lot of that has to do with the people that are teaching our kids, our youth, our next generation of STEM professionals, if they're not passionate about it, if they're not giving their all when it comes to teaching the subjects and also relaying it in terms that you can understand, then we're actually deterring people away from something that would benefit them in the long run. So for instance, my general chemistry professor, she would make us do these assignments where she's like, think about something and then tell me the science behind it. So for instance, if I'm talking about popping popcorn, it's about heat and you know forces and all this different kind of things like that. And that made me appreciate science a little bit more. And then me being a woman and you know getting my hair done, she wants, she's telling us the science behind a relaxer and how you're breaking the disulfide bonds with the basic solution. And I'm like, oh, well now that makes sense. And so just having those kind of instances and those moments where I'm seeing science applied to my life really just made me excited and having a teacher that was passionate about that subject really you know helped broaden my mind of what science can be and what i interpret it as and so when i'm talking to someone like my mother yeah she's not going to understand maybe what apoptosis means but if i'm thinking about science communication and using lay terms i'm just letting her know okay that's programmed cell death you know the cell is choosing to die or finding something comparable in her life where she can understand that, then that makes total sense. And it makes her more kind of like passionate, interested in my work as well. So I remember when I did my defense, I think my dad texted my brother and he was like, do you know what Corey's talking about? And my brother texted him back, no. 
<laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> but that was my defense and I was doing it for my committee. So I kind of had to use a lot of jargon. But after right. that, I had a conversation with my dad. He was like, you know what? I was actually kind of following along. So you're using this protein to kill cancer cells and you're doing it with the key. And I'm like, yes. So a one-on-one conversation, he gets it. And so I think it's important as scientists and science communicators that we are cognizant of the way we are presenting our research and making sure that it's relatable and discernible from people in different fields, different backgrounds, different educational levels. And you get a lot of practice when you're in grad school presenting posters. Like if I'm presenting a poster, I'm not just doing it to the people in my lab, people in different fields and, you know, that aren't doing the same work I'm doing. I remember I won a poster award during like maybe like a year ago uh, talking about my animal model and how I'm trying to treat prostate cancer. And that's a very simplified version. But the judges who weren't are not in my field didn't understand necessarily what I was talking about per se, but I made it relatable. You know, cancer affects so many people in our lives, from people you know to people you don't know, even family members. And so the motivation behind this project is prostate cancer. I recently lost my grandfather to prostate cancer. So having that connection with people, that familial connection or that thing that they can relate to really kind of brings them into the project and you can really bring them into the research and understand, you know, okay, I'm going to have to use a different term here or make sure that they really kind of understand me as I'm going along. And so having that discernment, but also realizing I can, you know, still be passionate about it. I don't have to use all these large terms can really make people interested in your science and want to want to learn more. And so I really take it takes time to hone that skill. But now I think I've gotten pretty, pretty good at it. <laughs> I can have a conversation with anybody, even a three year old and like tell them what my research is about and hopefully get them excited as much as I am. That's wonderful. And and what you just said sounds like music to my ears because I always tell my colleagues that this is the kids section of the show. So you're talking about breaking things down and the importance of communication, communicating really big ideas in mm-hmm. a very simple way so that everyone understands is really, really important. So thank you so much for sharing that. You know, last week we, we were fortunate to speak to a psychologist uh, uh, for the first time, and she made us understand how critical it was to have to be able to find someone when you were doing your PhD to be mm-hmm. able to find someone who was interested in what you were interested in as a black woman, mm-hmm. and and pe- people that shared your perspectives and your insights. So as I looked at your your um, bio, I see that you and it's used this big word here under the tutelage of Dr. Lola Eniola Adefiso. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering that, okay, well, she has to be a role model for uh, Dr. Grayson, for, you know, for her to be under the tutelage of this person. <laughs> and I also think of other people you mentioned, like your mom and the teacher who pushed you to do an AP and advocate mm-hmm. professor. But what other role models have you and mentors have you had? Uh, in real life uh, that you've had up to this point. And I'm going to tease you a little bit now. If you could have a role model mentor from any point in history, who would they be and why? Both good questions. <laughs> I'll start off with the first one. Um, besides my mother, um, my guidance counselor who put me in those classes, um, my G-Chem professor, 
and also by Orgo Kim Lab. She was a very tough woman. Um, she was like, yeah, you can't ask me any questions during lab. You need to come prepared so you can only ask me before and after. So she prepared us very well for like in lab kind of work environment. Um, my friend, my friends who is my mentor, but also kind of like a colleague, the first black biomedical engineer I ever met, uh, Tony, as well as Byron, who pushed me to apply to grad school. And then when I got here, well, got to grad school at Cornell, just seeing the older students above me, one who is now one of my really good friends, uh, Malika Grayson, Dr. Malika Grayson, who is also the person that I also go to carnival with. And so she got her degree a couple of years before I did. And so having her as a mentor, people that I've met in these different organizations, having them as mentors, and even Dr. Lola, who is now my postdoc mentor, um, the reason why I came to University of Michigan was to work with her, being her being a proud Black Nigerian woman. Um, I don't normally get that. Uh, you wouldn't get that in this field, but the fact that she had an opening and wanted me, and she is also a Black woman that can relate, I was like, I'm, I'm down. I'm packing my bags, and here I come. And so you obviously with mentorship, mine aren't all STEM. I definitely have them in different realms of my life and from personal friends to um, actual mentorship program I'm a part of now for people that are interested in medical technology. And so it can be formal, it can be very informal, but my mentors range in, in age as well as its experience. And I lean on them based off of expertise and, and advice that I need at that moment. And so it, again, my mom is a mentor, but she's also my best friend, but she's also my mother. You know, so many different inspirations from her alone. Even my brother, he's in a totally different field, military, um, but he just, you know, got his master's. And we, although we're quite competitive, I still feel like I'm the favorite sibling. Um, he's still a pretty cool guy and a part of like what keeps me going as well. And so again, it's just, so many and I wouldn't be where I am without these people and having their input and listening to them as well. So when it comes to someone specifically that could mentor me, anyone in history, that's a, that's a really good question. And so there's a lot of people that I could pull from, but I would say off the top of my head, I think it would have to be just Michelle Obama. She's just so graceful and smart, but just like a, a family woman, but also had no morals. And just to see just where she's gone and taken and dealt with with the presidency and how she's like overcome and kind of established her own niche. And it's no longer, oh, that's, you know, Obama's wife. No, people like, you know, that's, you know, Michelle Obama's husband, you know, just to have that kind of you know, confidence and wherewithal where people recognize you as your own person and not just your husband. And so just to talk to her about just how she feel, how she dealt with, how she's evolved as, as a woman, um, as an advocate, as a person who is invested in seeing younger people go to college and get those degrees. It would be nice to definitely have a, a conversation and mentorship from her. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your village with us. Um, it's a fascinating collection of people. Um, at this point, I'm going to turn it back to Dr. Vaughn. Thank you again, Dr. Grayson. Fascinating conversation. Dr. Vaughn? Thanks a lot, Lango. It's really, again, such a, a great conversation to have. And uh, I'm telling you, it 
is riveting to hear uh, about these experiences and enlighten us uh, about the place for everyone uh, in STEM. Uh, so in the few minutes that we have left, Dr. Grayson, gonna hit you with some rapid fire and then maybe a fun question to actually uh, conclude our time for this time. Uh, you are, we understand, the diversity chair for At Women Doing Science, and also you're on the planning council for STEM Noir. Can you talk to us about these groups and what they're doing in particular to help black women in STEM? Of course, with uh, Women Doing Science, that's actually one of the first kind of entities I became a part of. And that was literally the founder reaching out and was like, hi, can I feature you? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then she had a couple of questions about um, diversity and inclusion or how to increase the representation of Black women on the page. And so that was just talking to her with a few ideas. And then next thing you know, I was brought on the team. And our growth has been just tremendous from, from there, our IG page. And so we went from, I think when I came on board, maybe like 20,000 followers, nine to, now to over 90,000 followers. Wow. And so it's about really reaching and showcasing the diversity, not only within the STEM fields, but the diversity of women that are in STEM um, and giving them a platform to showcase them on. And so... We go from psychology all the way to rocket science, and then we go from different languages. Um, we're in the African diaspora to whether you're Chinese, we do translations in our bios. We just try to touch and really show our a diverse and inclusive element on the page when it comes to showcasing women. And so my job on that page is really to increase our diversity and also get women of color to submit uh, features and bios. And so with that, we've really done great things. We've even started a travel grant, funding for a travel grant for Black, Indigenous, women of color to go to different STEM conferences. Um, we're trying to get some of our data that we've collected into certain papers and journals so that way people can see the diversity and the role that social media can play in showcasing and representing women in STEM internationally. So that's a more of like an international platform that I'm really, really proud of the growth and the direction that we've been going in. With STEM Noir, um, same kind of situation. The founder reached out to me and was like, hey, I'd like you on the team. This is our mission. It's a research conference and holistic wellness retreat. And we were going to do it this past June, but of course, Corona, COVID, that didn't let that happen. But since then, we have been able to build a community of Black women in STEM and really try to cater to that audience as terms as research, but also as in wellness. And so we had a Black Women in STEM Week that was very successful, and we definitely had a big turnout. And so it's about kind of taking that experience that we feel at research conferences as far as the community, the networking, the talking about the research, but creating more of a safer place for Black women. Um, yeah, sometimes at these conferences, you may have a minority luncheon or a women luncheon or something like that, but sometimes it doesn't fit the space of being Black and being a woman. So we wanted to create that community, but also make it a conference uh, for our group and for our um, any Black woman that doesn't always feel um, that they are well represented or their feelings and their concerns are being, being taken, you know, as important in that space. 
And so so many other, two other organizations, also Black and Cancer. We just had Black and Cancer Week. And as a group of young Black cancer researchers, we were able to showcase not only us and our research, but everyone from physicians to patients to advocates to people in the field um, talking about being Black and cancer and increasing representation, but also knowledge of health disparities and how we can better address that in the African-American community. And then the STEM Success Summit, which is also about to happen November 19th to the 21st, where we're, again, young Black scientists coming together just to create a conference where you can meet people, um, have like mentoring access, and also just hear different workshops in terms of your personal career and professional development. And so these are just like some of the organizations and initiatives that I'm a part of to kind of help with increasing that representation, but also giving the tools needed in order to succeed in STEM, as well as a passion of mine, which is advocacy work. Wow. Sounds like you have a little bit on your plate. Uh, <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> but it's so it's such good work. Uh, all right. So uh, you're going to pull the shy introvert a little bit more out of her comfort zone with this fun <laughs> question. Uh, and and I, I'm glad that we do this because, like you said, uh, sometimes folks think of uh, STEMists as the white coat with the big hair and the mm-hmm. pocket protector, uh, which can be true, but uh, it certainly it certainly isn't the 21st century picture. You stated very confidently earlier that Dr. Corey Grayson has arrived. I'm in the room. There's a seat at the table. I will be heard. And so it sounds like someday they're going to have to make a movie about you. <laughs> Can you tell us when that happens, who would you like to play Dr. Grayson and why? <laughs> well, if they do make a movie about me, which that would be, you know, wonderful. I think the person that should play me is uh, Journey Smollett. I've always heard that I look like her. And that I think just her acting skills, I think she would do a very, very good job portraying me since we do have similar features. She would just need glasses. <laughs> I think she would definitely do a really good job. I was just watching her in um, Lovecraft Country, which I love. STEM meet Black history, sci-fi. I mean, talk about nerding out. But just watching her performance in that, I think she would definitely be great at playing me, for sure. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. And uh, you are right that 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 the range that she has certainly uh, would do you justice. (laughs) Do you have any parting words for us, something that you'd like to make sure that we take away before we wrap up? Yes. And I think, well, the words that I would say is bring your authentic self to the table in anything that you do in order to foster good, positive, authentic relationships, you have to be you. And so exploring yourself, learning yourself, learning about your self-awareness and self-determination has been some of the greatest things that I've been able to do in order to be successful and get to where I am now. And it's all a part of your self-advocacy journey, which is something I'm very passionate about and speaking about. And no one's going to fight for you like you are. So it's important that you understand yourself, understand your needs and how to get them. And so a lot of that comes with honing in 
and learning so much about yourself and being authentic to yourself, to your brand, to your mission. And so if anything, always be you and take up space wherever you can. That is the headline that we'll leave with. (laughs) Wow. Well, Dr. Corey Grayson, uh, on behalf of myself, Lango Dean, High Tech Sunday, it has truly been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. We have gotten a great pouring out from you during this conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Vaughn, for having me. Thank you, Lango, Ray, Brandon, everyone a part of the team. I really appreciated taking the time to tell my story and having you guys listen. And again, would love to do this again, or if you guys ever want to offer something on the table, but um, I truly enjoyed my, my time and thank you so much. Absolutely. I'm going to turn it back over to Brandon Newby to take us out. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communications Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.